one thing. Isn't one thing powerful? I mean, think of a few companies that have done one thing well. I think of Chipotle. When you go to Chipotle, it is not a complicated menu. There's only a few things that you can get. And basically, it's the same thing spun a few different ways. Into a taco, into a bowl, into a burrito. But it's the same ingredients. But those ingredients are good. It's, it's a one thing that is good. I never get tired of Chipotle. My wife, she is tired of Chipotle. I, I have officially burned her out on, on Chipotle. How about Chick-fil-A? Right? Eat more chicken. The original chicken sandwich. I mean, why get anything else at Chick-fil-A? Do you go to Chick-fil-A for a salad? Is that why you go to Chick-fil-A? Right? That's one thing. They do, they do chicken right. They do chicken really, really well. Michael Jordan, probably the greatest basketball player that, that's ever lived. Wow, you guys are excited about that. So if you want to get Billy fired up, our worship pastor, he thinks LeBron James is the best. So you can have that conversation with him. I'm with you guys. Michael Jordan, the best of all time. He decided in 1994 he was going to play baseball, right? So he took a year off basketball, played baseball for the White Sox, for their minor league team, and he batted 202. That was his batting average. Not so great, right? When he stuck to basketball, he was awesome. That was his one thing. Krispy Kreme, back to food, right? They do donuts. How would it be going to Krispy Kreme looking for Chinese food? Just messed up. That, that's disgusting, right? Well, Jesus tells us that there's one thing that's needful for us in this passage. So let's look in verse 38 and we'll lead up to verse 42. Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. So consider the source. The source is Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, also God in human flesh, incarnate. And Jesus tells us that there's one thing that's needed, and that's to sit at his feet and to hear his words. When we look at the life of Christ, especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus lived this out. He lived in fellowship with the Father, and the greatest priority of his life was spending time with the Father, which seems almost counterintuitive. You think he's got 33 years here on this planet. He would spend it solely with people, solely pulling himself out, but he's modeling for us this importance of relationship with the Father. What Mary is doing to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his words. But this is difficult for us, isn't it? It's challenging for us to say, this is going to be the one thing. If I get one thing right in life, it's going to be this priority of worship. It's going to be this priority of being still and knowing that he's God sitting at Christ's feet and allowing him to speak to me. 
What was the enemy, if you would, for Martha to be able to accomplish this? The first thing is that she was distracted with much serving. It's not that Martha was out doing sinful things. She had a great intent to open up her heart and her home to Jesus. She just made it more complicated than it needed to be, right? And she got distracted by much serving to the point where bitterness started to develop in her heart towards Mary and also to the Lord. And we talked about this a little bit this weekend, but I want to revisit it. Is it possible that we've gotten distracted with much serving? Where we say yes to everything. We, we don't say no. We're not prayerful about those things. We're not in the yoke of Christ. We're in the yoke of other people's expectations. And somehow, in the midst of all of that, we've lost sight of our relationship with Jesus. We've lost sight of being able to, to sit at his feet. Many times in ministry, many times in serving, we can get so busy with serving that we lose sight of our personal relationship with the Lord. We, we lose sight of getting filled up. You know, this water bottle was able to provide a very small amount of water, I, I might add, by being filled up, right? So, so let's say this, this water gets completely emptied out. You've got an empty container, but yet it just continues to pour out and continues to pour out, continues to pour out. It's not going to be very effective. That there, There's nothing in here to pour out, right? And we've got to make sure that we're going back to the living water to be able to be filled up. A lot of us are leading on empty. We're living on empty because we've lost sight of this one thing, distracted with much serving. Also, we find here that she's troubled and she's worried about many things. So she's made it more complicated, said yes to things that she didn't need to, but now she's worried and she's troubled about many things. We talked about over the weekend making a list. What are the things that I'm troubled about? What are the things that I'm worried about? Well, now it's Wednesday. How have we done laying those at the feet of Jesus? Do we lay them down Sunday afternoon and pick them up Monday morning? Or have we continued to lay them down at the feet of Jesus so that this one thing can be fulfilled? Because if we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we worship as the Lord intends, then everything's going to flow out of that place. Everything else is going to flow out of when we're in that proper relationship with the Lord. It doesn't mean that everything is easy or everything that goes our way, but I think you can feel it in your soul. I can feel it in my soul. When I get aligned with the Lord and I'm having that time with him and he's filling me up, then I, I have something to give to, to Amber. I have something to give to the kids. I have something to share as a pastor. But if I lose sight of that one thing, it can easily get to that place of burnout. Another way to put this of what Martha's experiencing is burnt at burnout. She's got good intentions, it's the right thing, but she's made it too complicated, and she's at a point where she's like, okay, I'm done, and it's the Lord's fault because he did not make Mary help me. And it's my awful sister, right? Almost reminds me of Cinderella. Maybe she's a stepsister, right? And Mary, you need to get in here and you need to, to help me. And if our attitude towards service has gotten to this place of frustration, where 
we're frustrated with the Lord, we're, we're frustrated with, with other people, we maybe have reached this place of burnout or we have reached this place of, of leading on empty. It was probably close to, to 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, maybe even 12, but I had come to a place where I was leading on empty. And I hadn't even realized it, but it had totally uh, taken place. And I was saying yes to, to everything. You know, I was saying yes to every request that I got to meet with someone, every, every email, every opportunity to teach, leading the staff, lead, leading our uh, logistic ministerial uh, meetings, and just taking on more, taking on more, taking on more. To the point where I would show up on Thursdays and my body was starting to shut down. I was having a hard time getting any work done until about noon. And it was, that was a weird feeling for me, but just couldn't focus, couldn't get things done. The engines just wouldn't go till, till about noon. Wednesday was a full day. We would have staff devotions, and then we would have a ministerial staff meeting, and then getting ready for Wednesday night, and then doing Wednesday night, and then Thursday morning would come, and there just wouldn't be anything left uh, in, in the tank. And I went to a pastor's meeting here in town where another pastor was hosting and lead pastors get together and he says, I bought you guys all the book. Guess the title, Leading on Empty. And he just says, I'm gonna hand this out to everybody. Shared his own experience of Leading on Empty. Gives the analogy of a gas tank and you got a gas tank that's on empty and he's like, this is how you know as a pastor your tank is on empty Here's the warning signs. Boom, 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 boom. I had them all. I, I had all of them, right? And what did I do with that knowledge? Didn't tell anybody. Because it's a humbling thing to admit, hey, I'm, I'm on empty. Didn't share with Amber, didn't share with Pastor Robert, any of the other amazing pastors that, that were here. And then my good friend, Kent Nolly, that I've known now for 20 years, I'll never forget it. He sits me down in the office, and now he's missionary over in Uganda. At the time, he was our, our missions pastor. And he's like, Eric, I, I don't think that you're doing too well. And I think you're doing too much. And you need to pray about that. And that was the Holy Spirit. And he was, he was absolutely right. So then I shared with Amber, and I shared with Pastor Robert, and changed some things. And Kent started teaching one Wednesday a month out of that. Pastor Robert started re- leading the ministerial meetings instead of myself, which he's far better at. Should have been leading. I started to examine, okay, I need to be prayerful about the appointments that I take and the funerals that I do and not just every request that would come in. I, I, I feel bad if I'm not able to meet with somebody. You know, it's, it's hard to say, hey, would you meet with a, another pastor, or I'm sorry, I can't be able to, to do this. And as I dug down deeper into it, what I was in was really the yoke of my own expectations that I put on myself, and the yoke of other people's expectations, but I wasn't in the yoke of Christ. And it, and it was burning me out. And I'd like to tell you, after learning that lesson 12 years or so ago, that I've just mastered it, right? But I continue to have this struggle. I can relate with, with Martha, where all of a sudden it's doing, 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 and you think that that's successful Christian living, and it's like, wait a second, I'm losing sight of the one thing. God doesn't need us to accomplish his work. 
He's not sitting here at Rocky Mountain Calvary going, ooh, I, I need Pastor Eric to inc- accomplish my work. In your family, in your workplace, in, in ministry and serving, he's able to do it. And what he really desires for us is relationship. So you might be at that place. As, as you look at your schedule, as you look at all of the things that you have said yes to, you're like, this is not sustainable. If I, if I continue this for another six months, another year, the outcome's not going to be good. Would it be that Jesus is speaking to us? Hey, Eric, Eric, you, this is the one thing that's needful. What things can be let go? What things can you say no to? We feel so bad as a parent if our, our kids aren't in three or four activities. Culture says, oh, they got to play soccer. They've got to do some music lessons. If they have an opportunity to be in drama. And before you know it, you're in Uber service. That's all you are as a parent is an Uber service. But it's like, man, I, I'm a successful parent because my child is in all these activities. You know, says who? Maybe they need some time at home as well. Maybe they're, they're feeling a little bit burned out. Go before the Lord and say, God, what would you take off uh, the, the plate? Because I think we're in a culture of Martha's, not a culture of Mary's. The Western culture is one where we find a lot of pride and identity in, hey, look what I was able to do. Look how clean the house is. Look, the food is gourmet. It's absolutely organic. This is the best meal you, you've ever had. But then the back end of it is that we can lose sight of what's most important, and that's a relationship with the Lord and a relationship uh, with people. So when you master it, let me know. But we can really be in prayer for each other in, in this area to choose what is the most important thing. Let's turn to Psalms 27 because we also see David at a place where he expresses one thing. This phrase, one thing, is used three times in Scripture. I love it because it gives us real clear focus on where we're to put our attention. So this is Psalms 27. We're going to start in verse 1. We don't know exactly what David is going through, but it's clear from the text that he's going through a hard time, that he's going through a difficulty It seems to be the period of time where he is in exile. Saul is trying to kill him. In verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Notice how personal this is to David. It's not just that God is light, that God is salvation, that God is strength. It's my light, my salvation, the strength of my life. In verse 2, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. So he literally has those that are coming against him and trying to kill him and destroy him. The most powerful man in the land, King Saul, with his army. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. What David seems to be fighting against is fear. For Martha, it was distracted with much serving. That was the enemy to the one thing. For David, it's fear. There's a real threat. There's a real concern. And when we have something coming against us, attacking us, if if you would, that, that fear can distract us from the presence of the Lord. 
So David's going to the Lord, going to his relationship with the Lord that's protecting him from fear. God's my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? I'm not going to live in fear. Then we get to the one thing. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Even in the midst of a real and present danger, King Saul, David didn't lose sight of the one thing. Isn't that amazing? That's hard to do, isn't it? Your li- life is in jeopardy, your job is in jeopardy, and you don't you lose sight of your relationship with the Lord. Your health is taken away from you, and you don't lose sight of your relationship with the Lord. There's relational challenges and relational difficulties, and you don't lose sight of the one thing. That's where David's at. It's so easy in David's sandals to then lose sight of fellowship with the Lord. But he says, no, this is the one thing that I have desired. Now, if I'm King David, I would write, the one thing that I desire is for God to kick Saul's can. Amen? I'm tired of this guy threatening me and chasing me all over the land. But he says, no, I'm not desiring deliverance. I am desiring this of the Lord. This is what I desire, and this is what I'm going to seek after. And this is where we press in a little bit deeper. This is where the onion gets peeled back another layer. When it comes to the one thing, what is it that I'm desiring? Our desire tells us a lot about where our heart's at. It tells us a lot about where our worship is. You could put worship into other words, other language. Worship is what you desire. Worship is what you long for. Sin is misplaced desire, isn't it? It's I'm desiring things that aren't of the Lord. So David says, this is what I desire. And can I say that this is what I desire as well? I desire and I'm going to seek after. I'm going to seek after this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thing, I want to make sure that I'm in God's house forever. Is that our heart? Is that our commitment to say, you know what? Until I go home to be with the Lord, where you can expect to find me is in the house of the Lord. If God moves me to another city, the first thing I'm going to do is seek out the church that he wants me to be in. Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus loves his church. Jesus is in the midst of the church. If it's enough for Jesus, it's enough for me. So I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Remember, David loved God's house. He wanted to build God a temple. God said, no, because your hands are are too bloody. But David loved to be at the tabernacle. He loved to be able to to fellowship with with the Lord. And so he says, I'm going to seek after this. This is the one thing I'm going to seek after in my life, and it's to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we dwell in God's house together, we're in relationship with God, and we're in relationship with one another. But the enemy in our flesh is going to attack against it. There's going to be times where it's easy to come to church, it's easy to plug in with God's people, but there's other times where it'll be the most difficult thing that you do because the enemy doesn't want you to do it. Say, okay, I've chosen. I'm going to be in God's house. I'm going to dwell with God's people. Those that I've seen do really well in their Christian life over a lifetime are those that are plugged into a local church. 
They're plugged into a local church. They're committed to Christ and they're committed to a body of believers, committed to give and to receive, to live in accountability because God blesses us gathering together as his people. Now, if it's not here, praise the Lord. There's a lot of amazing churches throughout our city. We're told in Hebrews, as you see the day approaching, don't forsake the fellowship and gathering together as a believers. That means we should be able to look at the signs and go, we're getting closer to Christ coming back. I think that's true. When we look at what's taking place in our world, it seems that we're getting closer to the return of Christ. So what's our response to that? Well, I'm going to go to church less. You know, I'm going to get less connected. I'm not going to be part of a, a small group. It's like, no. The closer that we get to the coming of Christ, the more I need to press into the Lord, to press into the body of believers, even when it's difficult, even when it means forgiving when those have hurt us and, and come against us, when, when we've failed and, and sinned against others. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And as he's in the house of the Lord, he's going to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Another way to put this is David saying, throughout my life, I am going to get to know God in a greater way. And I'm not going to lose that curiosity to behold his beauty and ask questions of the Lord. And that's a great place to be. That's the heart of a worshiper. That, that's the heart of Mary. It says, God, I want to go deeper into your character, into your attributes, into your beauty. I want to inquire of you. I want to, I want to study of you. Amber, my wife, God has just given her an amazing, beautiful mind to be inquiring. When we go to the zoo, she really sits in and studies those animals. When I go to the zoo, I can be in and out and through the whole thing in an hour. It's like, okay, I've seen the lions for five seconds. I'm ready to move on. Penguins, great, check, let's do that. It's more about getting through quickly than actually really seeing and beholding and inquiring. But, but she's able to stop and look and study. And because of her love for creation, our kids have adopted that. They're, they're able to, to go to the zoo and, and, man, check this out, and this is amazing. She goes to a museum, and she reads everything. And I'm, I'm through it in record pace, right? Give me the cliff notes, I'll, I'll grasp what I grasp, and I'm on to the, the next thing. I was a real joy to raise, by the way. It's just a real rock star in school. <laughs> but this is the way I picture David. He's like, man, God's got my attention. I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to dwell in this house. I'm going to behold his beauty. I'm going to inquire of him. I want to know the Lord in a, in a greater way. Let's look at verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high above a rock. This fellowship with the Lord becomes our secret place and our pavilion in time of trouble. Even though David couldn't be at the tabernacle in Jerusalem because he's on the run, he could be in fellowship with God. Mary, as she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, that becomes her tabernacle. That becomes her secret place. That becomes her point of refuge. As you invest in spending time in fellowship with God, in prayer, in worship, in reading his word, 
then in times of difficulty where your very existence is threatened, you have a comfortable place to go back to, and that's the arms of your father. Again, it's not that the difficulty goes away, but it's like, man, I have a refuge to go to. I have this secret pavilion. I have that one thing. So David gives us his mission statement. He gives us his anthem. I'm going to dwell in God's house all the days of my life for the purpose of beholding the beauty of the Lord and inquiring of his temple. Now, let's look at Paul's one thing statement. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 I love Philippians chapter 3. It's such a a powerful chapter that the Apostle Paul gives to us. And he's sharing about his own life and what was the source of his identity prior to knowing Christ in the first few verses. And it was his position in the Jewish community. Being a Pharisee, being of the tribe of Benjamin, trying to find righteousness in his own works. Then he describes for us that these things were just rubbish to him, really dung, a pile of manure, all of this trying to attain God's favor through the works of the law. He was willing to count that all as loss. And when Paul got saved, he did lose his identity. He lost all of his friends that came with Judaism. And he says, I'm willing to lose all of this for the excellency of the knowledge of of Christ. And that's where we pick up in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained and are already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. If the apostle Paul is able to view himself as I haven't arrived, how much more so for us? We have not arrived. We have not reached the pinnacle of growth, the pinnacle of understanding of who Jesus is. And that's good for us to really allow it to sink in. She says, I've not attained, but I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. That's powerful. God saved me. He laid a hold of me. He, he laid a hold of Saul who became Paul for purposes Now Paul's saying, I want to lay hold of those purposes. What are the purposes that God has for our life? Well, we know that he wants us to be in fellowship with him. We know he wants us loving others. So Paul's saying, I want to press forward, press on, and discover those things for which God laid hold of me, to enter into those good works that he has ordained for me. In verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here's Paul's one thing statement. He says, this is the one thing I do. I'm going to forget those things that are in the past and I'm going to press forward to the things that God has in the future. The past can be a real prison, can't it? We're looking back into the past in several ways. And the first is guilt, shame, condemnation. Paul, if he allowed himself to, could really live in guilt and shame and condemnation because he persecuted Christians. God got a hold of his life as he was on the road to arrest and persecute Christians, the road of Damascus. 
he held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen, showing his approval for Stephen to be martyred. Those images don't go away. Especially now as a believer, going, man, I arrested these Christians. I had these Christians killed. The words of Jesus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Oh, I did that to Jesus? If he wasn't careful, that very easily could turn into condemnation. And you know that Satan loves to play that fiddle. He loves to strum that tune. Oh, God doesn't forgive you. You've messed up. There's no hope. There's no future for you. God couldn't use you. How many times would Paul have to fight that when he got up to preach the gospel? When he got up to, to teach the word of God? And I think that this is how Paul then landed on the one thing. Okay, this is, this is the one thing I've got to do. I've got to forget the past. I can't focus on the past. But there's another way that the past gets us. And it was like, oh, those are the good old days. Those, that was really, 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 really great. And maybe it was a great time in our relationship with the Lord, a great time in our families, but we tend to not always remember it accurately. We don't remember the trials, the difficulties. We're just remembering the good times. But if we could go back to that experience, though it was good, there were also challenges. There are also difficulties. So whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between, I want you to hear this. I need to hear this. God is always a God of the present and the future. He doesn't live in the past. We can be thankful for the past. We can learn from our past, but we cannot be living in a particular point in time other than the present, pressing forward to the future. And this will trap us. This will really get us especially if there's areas of loss in our lives. We go, man, I used to have this, but I no longer have it. I used to have this job. I had these friends. I had this relationship. And man, it's not the case anymore. And it's a choice to say, I'm going to forget the past. Can't change the past. It's dead. It's buried. And now I'm going to press forward to the future, to lay hold of the things for which God has laid hold of me. And notice the language that Paul focuses on here in verses 14 and 15. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is an intentional effort from the Apostle Paul where, where he's reaching forward. I think of this as a, a hike or a climb where you're climbing, you're, you're doing the incline over in Manitou, you're, you're climbing a 14er and you're like, I've got to press forward. Each step is, is difficult, but I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep, because I want to reach the top. I want to reach the goal. And, and that's Paul here. He's saying, this is challenging. This is difficult. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to press forward into what God has in the future. He, he's putting effort into the future. So it's yes, forgetting the past, but it's also saying, I'm going to press into what God has in the future. Is that where we're at? Is that, is that the one thing that we're doing in our lives of saying, yeah, I'm forgetting the past, but I'm also pressing into what God has in the future. 
This is what I've observed, is if Satan can't get us to deny Christ, to deny our faith, he's going to try to get us to check out as believers. Where we're not engaged with the Lord, we're not engaged with people, we're not engaged with his calling in our life. We're numb, we're asleep, we're like, "Ah, I'm just going to take the the easy street. I love the Lord, I'm going to believe in the Lord, but I'm dejected. And Satan's like, great, no longer a threat in my kingdom, no longer serving me, no longer reaching out with with the love of Jesus Christ. And and maybe this is the word that God has for you tonight. It's enough looking back. It's enough voice of guilt and shame and condemnation. You're forgiven in Christ Jesus. It's enough of, man, those were the good old days. Be thankful for those blessings that are in the past. But now it's time to get up. Now it's time to to press into what God has in the future. This is such an important issue to the Lord that if this isn't how we're thinking, he's going to show it to us. Verse 15, therefore, let us as many as are mature. So here's a litmus test of, am I mature? Am I mature in Christ? Am I growing? Have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise... God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So Paul's saying, hey, if you're mature in the Lord, this is the way that you should think. But for some reason, if you're not thinking this way, God's going to reveal it to you. It's a mindset for the Apostle Paul. It's a discipline in his mind to say, hey, wait a second, I'm getting stuck in the past. And it's time for me to let the past go, forgive where it's necessary, receive forgiveness, thankful for the blessings, but now get up and press in to what God has for the future. So allow the Holy Spirit to reveal our mindset to us. Is this our mindset? Is this the one thing? I respect the Apostle Paul. I'm sure you do too. If we were able to spend some time with the Apostle Paul this week, have that Chipotle burrito that we're talking about. And Paul said, hey, can I share my heart with you? My time with the Lord, this is the one thing I've got to make sure that I do. I got to forget the past and I got to press forward into the future. I'm going to lay hold of those things for which Christ laid hold of me. And what I find as I examine these three one thing statements, they're really saying the same thing. Jesus is saying, this is the one thing that's needful, and that's to sit at my feet and hear my words. That's worship. Paul's saying, the one thing I'm going to do is dwell in God's house, behold of his beauty, inquire in his temple. That's worship. Even though I got someone very powerful that's trying to kill me, I'm not letting that deter me from the one thing. The apostle Paul says, I'm not going to let the past keep me from pressing forward to the future of laying hold of the reasons for which Christ laid hold of me. So why did God lay hold of us? So we could be worshipers. So we could have a deeper knowledge of Christ. And that's what Paul describes in the first 10 verses of Philippians 3. What is Paul pressing forward to specifically? It's the deeper knowledge of Jesus. I'm forgetting the past, pressing into the future, so I can have a deeper knowledge of Jesus. So the one thing is the same. Sit at the feet of Jesus. 
Spend time beholding his beauty, inquiring his temple. Press forward into the knowledge that he has for us. Press forward into the good works that he has for us. So let's simplify. Let's simplify in our lives. Go, okay, man, this doesn't have to be complicated. So as we close, let me just run some practical ideas to try to allow the Lord to form this in in our hearts, in our lives. For this to become practical in our lives, I think the first thing that we have to do is remove some distractions. What, What are some distractions that need to be removed? Are we saying yes to too many things? Are we spending too much time on our phones? Is it, is it as simple of saying, you know, I'm going to spend time in God's word every morning before I spend time on my phone? Are you finding that your email on your phone really gets you? It's really convenient to have email on our, our phones. I, I have three email accounts two work accounts, one personal account. They're all on my phone. And what I do, what I tend to do when I let the dog out to go out to the bathroom in the evening, the dog's doing its business. I'm doing some business. I'm pulling out my phone and I'm checking email, right? And I'm looking at that and, well, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? Do I really have time in that moment to answer one of those emails? No. But every once in a while, then, Here's an email that I can't stop thinking about. Here I am, 10 o'clock, letting the dog out, checking work emails. It's like, maybe I need to take email off my phone, right? We've got to remove, remove distractions. How much comfort do we find and identity do we find in those, those distractions? And we've got to have a plan. If we're going to make it a priority to sit at the feet of Jesus, to inquire in this temple to behold of his beauty, we have to have a plan. Is there going to be a, a time in the day where we say, I've got an appointment with Jesus? And for some, it might be in the morning. For some, your best time is late at night. Go with it. All right, that, that's going to be my time with Jesus. Some of you have flexibility on your lunch hour. Use it to have time with the Lord. But set that appointment with the Lord. And he's longing to to spend time with us. I think having time in God's word is really meaningful in the midst of that. So have a plan for being in God's word. Am I going to read the Gospels? Am I going to read the Proverbs? Am I going to read through the New Testament? What is it that the Lord would, would have me to focus on to be able to be in God's word? To be still before him. So removing distractions, making a plan, and then relying on the Holy Spirit. Lord, I I don't have the power to do this in and of myself. And follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will give us guidance on those distractions. The Holy Spirit may lead us into some times that were unplanned as well. It's like, oh man, it's not first thing in the morning or last thing at night. But the Holy Spirit's leading me to spend some time with the Lord. The Lord's leading me to be able to to worship. But when the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, speaks to us and says, hey, this this is the one thing, then we would be wise to respond and say, yes, Lord. So churches have characteristics, right? Like you 
you visit, say you're on vacation and you visit a church and you're like, man, this church was amazing at missions or this church was really strong in this or strong in that. Wouldn't it be cool if what was a characteristic of Rocky Mountain Calvary is that we got this one thing? Like, you know what? I spent time with those folks at Rocky Mountain Calvary and they just love spending time with Jesus. They love sitting at his feet. They love hearing his word. And then out of that, who knows what God's going to do? Who knows what he's going to call us to do? But the priority is, man, I want to be a worshiper. I want to spend time at the feet of Jesus. One thing. It's one thing that we focus on. To sit at his feet, hear his words. To inquire in his temple to behold his beauty. So would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we do pray that you would work this into our lives, that you would show us where we're distracted with much serving, maybe to the point of burning out or being on on empty, that you'd give us wisdom of where to be able to make changes and have the courage to do that. Lord, would you change our desire? Our desire really reveals where our hearts are at and We want to be like David. He really lived this out over the course of his life. He definitely wasn't a a perfect man, but he was a man after your heart. He longed for fellowship with you. And God, we turn our desire towards you, but we also ask that you would move in our desire. That you would give us a, a deeper desire for fellowship with you. Lord, the past can be such a prison bondage in our lives. We choose tonight to forget those things that lie behind, where we failed, where we sinned, where others have sinned against us. We want to press forward. We want to press in to today, to tomorrow morning, to the things that you have of us. So God, would you be gracious to Call us back to that first love. That time in our lives where all that mattered was was fellowship with you. So we love you. Jesus, would you, in your name and your power, just work this into the culture of our church. You've been growing us in worship, worshiping you in in spirit and in truth. But may we be a a congregation of Mary's, a congregation of, of David's, for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.